Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Haas Team Podcast. I am your host, Brad Grew, and we are recording episode 004, the Bahrain Grand Prix Analysis, live from Houston, Texas, USA. And like with most post-race Grand Prix podcasts, there is a ton of information for us to go over, but we even have more information to go over because there there were two days of in-season testing at the Bahrain Grand Prix post-race, and Haas F1 team principal, Gunther Steiner, was on the official F1 Beyond the Grid podcast this week as well. So stay tuned for the next half hour or so as we dissect the Bahrain Grand Prix, including Romain Grosjean's early exit and Kevin Magnussen's underperforming. After a great day of qualifying, what happened to Haas's pace? Was it the car? Was it the weather? Or was it just bad luck? Let me just start off by saying, holy crap, what a difference 24 hours makes. After qualifying at the Bahrain Grand Prix, we had nothing but high hopes. Kevin Magnussen was sitting P6, Romain Grosjean was sitting P8, and the Haas F1 team looked destined for double points in Bahrain. But shortly after qualifying wrapped, Romain Grosjean was hit with the three-spot grid penalty for blocking Lando Norris during Q1, which put... Haas and P6 and P11, respectively, going into the start of the race. Still, no big deal. One place out of the points, everything was still looking good to score double points and extend their lead as the best of the rest. And then, the start of the race came. It didn't take but 20 seconds for a promising weekend to turn into a grueling nightmare. Let's listen to an edited version of Romain Grosjean's disastrous first lap. So that was part of the onboard radio for Romain Grosjean during the start of the Bahrain Grand Prix after Lance Stroll ran into him in turn two of the start of the race, causing a puncture. And Grosjean had to travel about five kilometers on a flat tire all the way around to the pits. Here we go. We're on board with Lance Stroll, and he is going to make contact with a Haas right there. So Grosjean goes off. Stroll gives him a, a bit of a tap. They both end up in the pits with damage. And Alex Albon watching the view from the Toro Rosso. Is that a racing incident? The stewards are looking at it, Martin. Yeah, I, d- I don't think uh, there'll be any penalties from that. Color me surprised that Martin shows no love to Haas. And so after looking at that incident, the stewards decided that an investigation was not needed. Uh, the stewards have decided, by the way, no further action uh, or no investigation necessary. Grosjean and Stroll racing incident uh, down at turn two on the opening lap. Yeah, I think Lance, if he sees that, he, he'll think mm, that was kind of inevitable here, that Grosjean was going to turn in. Grosjean could have given him a bit more space if he indeed knew he was there. Seriously, Martin, what replay are you watching? Stroll had no one on his left side. Grosjean was on the right edge of the track. Meanwhile, Stroll is way past the middle of the track, even though he has a full car width to his left on the inside part of the turn, where no one is at. Not only that, but Grosjean was ahead of Stroll. Grosjean did not turn into Stroll. Stroll rammed into 
end Grosjean. I'm fine with calling this a racing incident, but don't you dare say that Grosjean turned into Stroll. I don't think Stroll did it on purpose, but at the same time, I think he certainly deserves the criticism for doing it, because whenever Kevin Magnussen or Romain Grosjean do something that the rest of the grid doesn't like, they're crucified for it. But even with the puncture that set him back more than 70 seconds on the first lap, Grosjean and his team decided to continue. Is the car okay or damaged? Car's safe to continue, we'll keep you updated. And believe it or not, Grosjean put in some great times after getting back on the track. But he was definitely having handling issues, and he was certain that the car was damaged. There is some damage, but let's keep going, man. Let's keep going. So Grosjean soldiered on for about 10 more laps before this radio message. Well, I'm sorry, but it's Understood. We'll look to see if we can do anything on our side. And so while Grosjean was making great time, he's saying that the car is undrivable, which is him clearly saying that he doesn't think he can make it to the end of the race. The car was actually pulling him around pretty crazily, so he would have been exhausted if he did make it another 40 plus laps. And so with no chance of points in the cards, and Grosjean already a lap down and sitting P19, the team makes a tough choice to head into the garage. Race engineer Dominic Haynes breaks the news. We need to box the car, man, to retire. We need to box the car. And while he was pulling the car into the pits, Grosjean had a little bit more to say. I have got to all myself to tell some people what I think of what they did. Understood, dude, we saw it. I'm not, not talking about the start. And so I turned up my headphones extremely loud trying to understand what Grosjean is saying here. He kind of breaks up and it's kind of broken English, so I'm not positive what he's saying, but for the most part I believe he's just saying that they need to rethink and relook at what they decided to do for the race, and he wasn't just talking about the bad start. So there was probably something wrong with the setup of the car that was making him have to struggle a little more or something along those lines. I, I'm just not really sure. Looking at the times, that doesn't really make any sense, but we'll get into that later in the episode. But a few minutes later, Sky F1 was able to provide a little insight into why they decided to retire the car. And that is Roman Grosjean. He is out of the race for the second time this season in two races. Roman Grosjean is forced to retire and Gunter Steiner, uh, not a happy man on the Haas pit wall. Yeah, quick word on Roman Grosjean. You saw him retire. Uh, your suspicions are right, guys. They damaged the floor in that contact with Lance Stroll, so that's why they had to retire the car. Yeah, so the contact with Stroll is not likely what caused the damage to the floor. Maybe it was Grosjean being knocked over the curb that caused it. He also drove the remaining five kilometers of the lap on a punctured tire, which would sling rubber and all kinds of debris all over the place that could have also damaged the floor. Claire, it did go wrong for Roman Grosjean. You can see the damage there to his rear left tyre. You can see the sparks coming from underneath Lance Stroll's racing point as well. Stroll was the man that hit Grosjean. Grosjean the only one to retire from this race so far. We've got 19 running. Uh, after 28 racing laps. And so sadly, for the second week in a row, Romain Grosjean was knocked out of a race for, by no fault of his own. And as I'm going to get into later, his times were actually pretty darn good when compared to the rest of the middle of the pack, even with a damaged floor. And here's just kind of like my overview of the Grosjean and Stroll incident. Lance Stroll ran his front right tire and front wing into the back left rear of Grosjean, causing him to veer sharply off the track while suffering a puncture in the process. Grosjean subsequently limped his car all the way around, entering the pits at the end 
of his first lap, already down by more than 70 seconds. Looking back at the replays, there wasn't really anything that Grosjean could do about this incident. He actually did well to avoid the chaos of the start on the first corner, and when the other racing point driver, Sergio Perez, nearly got into his left side, Grosjean was able to avoid that. Yet, that didn't stop Stroll from going too deep into turn two and failing to give Grosjean enough space to make his turn, eliminating both of their chances at points. The real infuriating part is that Stroll had no reason to go that deep into the turn. Grosjean was on the outside, and Stroll had plenty of space on his left. If you watch Nico Hulkenberg's onboard video of the incident, you can clearly see that there is absolutely no one to Stroll's left in turn two, yet he is on the outside of the track during its April. While this may go down as a racing incident, to me, it's further proof that the kid with the rich daddy likely has no place in F1. There was quite literally a full car link to the inside part of the turn that Stroll could have used, but instead he chooses to go in wide and wipe out himself and another driver. Now, saying in the race discussions during the race, you know, it's probably hard to drive with a silver spoon stuck up your arse. Seriously, I'm just so really disappointed for Grosjean. He's literally the bad luck Brian of F1, and I don't know why. Nicest guy in the world, and he just can't catch a break. Vettel screwed him in qualifying, and he gets blamed. And then a jackass runs into his backside when there's plenty of room on the track for him to avoid contact, and his weekend's over. But I'm going to dive into some telemetry data from the race later on that shows even though Grosjean had a shortened race, he has a lot to be proud of. But before we do that, we have to talk about the pride of Denmark, Kevin Magnus. And while Kevin didn't have nearly as bad of a weekend as Romain, his Grand Prix certainly left a lot to be desired. And like the reverse of Romain Grosjean, Kevin Magnussen had a spectacular start and was able to avoid all of the major issues that plagued most of the first few laps of the race. He also put up good times and was able to regain his P6 starting position after Carlos Sainz also got into a scuffle with Max Verstappen. And all in all, everything was going great for K-Mag until he started the sixth lap of the race. Okay, currently P6, Ricciardo behind his P7. Everything's going good. But after that early great news from Gary Gannon, Gary comes right back on the radio less than a lap later and lets Kevin know that he needs to consider that his rear locking is causing some temperature issues with the tires. Consider brake balance forward due to high rear locking. And right on cue, Kevin begins to struggle. Inexplicably, on the sixth lap, Magnussen lost nearly four seconds overall and was passed by three different drivers, moving from P6 to P9 in one lap, which is very un-K-Mag-like. Meanwhile, Kevin Magnussen's gone from 6th down to ninth, lost about uh, 4 seconds on the previous lap, and in fact is now down in 10th place behind Sergio Perez. I wonder what's happened to him. And on the next lap, it didn't get much better, because Kevin was passed one more time and pushed back to P10. So he lost 4 overall spots in about a lap and a half. Well, so there's Magnussen going wide at turn 10. Raikkonen slips down the inside there. Magnussen comes back at Kimi Raikkonen, uh, but all to no avail because Magnussen's down in 10th, Raikkonen's in 7th. Over the next several laps, Gary Gannon gives him a few more instructions for bringing down the surface temperature of the tires. Okay, it's all down to the surface temps, so we just have to try and get them down. Which includes trying to move the brake balance to the forward wheels and a braking coast when possible. Okay, brake balance forward for, to reduce rear locking and then lifting coast when you can. And again, just a lap later, right before he is passed by a McLaren. Understood, surface overheating is reducing. And so at the end of lap 10, Kevin enters the pits and changes to C2 medium tires, sitting P11 on pit entry and P15 on pit exit. Box now, Kevin, box now. Box now. Remember, hold brake pressure, mode race start, and remember your toggle. Hold brake pressure, mode race start. 
White line, white line will be racing at the exit. Check your right toggle if you're happy with that. And use DRS if it's available. Okay, you have Gasly and Albon there on the straight. Norris comes in, Magnussen comes in, Magnussen just out ahead of Pierre Gasly who's got past Alex Albon and that was the McLaren and the Haas covering off that early stop by the Red Bull and the Toro Rosso as well. Even with the valiant effort, the damage had already been done. Kevin now set P15 with very little hope for the points, but every few laps he was putting in some decent times. Good last lap, same lap time as Norris ahead, Norris is on the same tire, just stopped with you. Okay, that's Perez, 2.8 ahead. He's already on his, uh, he's already stopped once. He's 0.8 slower. Magnus has got no race pace at the moment, Martin. He's been swallowed up by Lando Norris. He might get swallowed up by Pierre Gasly here as well. Three of them trying to go in. Uh, all line astern into turn four. Norris comes out in front ahead of Magnus and Gasly still biding his time. The stewards are looking at that incident between Verstappen and Sainz as we look at this battle between Gasly and Magnussen. And the Haas, very much the struggling part of that trio. And now... But regardless of what Kevin tried, there was real no consistency to the lap times. They were all over the place. They were ranging from two or three different seconds at a time, even in clear air. And so the team decided to go for a Hail Mary and called for the one stop. Okay, dude, lots of people ahead have committed to two stops, so let's make one stop work. Kevin Magnussen has been passed once again uh, by uh, Pierre Gasly this time around. Uh, that has six on the grid, Martin. Whatever is wrong with that car tonight, the race pace has just disappeared for it. I don't know if he's hurting his tyres or whether he's carrying an issue. Uh, behind him, he's got Alex Albon who's uh, going to line up an overtaking move, I think, uh, very, very soon indeed. And while some fans may have criticised the idea of going for one stop, there was really nothing the team could do. At this point, Kevin was clearly out of the points. All they could really hope for was make up about 20 to 25 seconds from not having his pit stop again, and then maybe getting a yellow flag at some point to stack the field back up. If he does a normal pit stop and doesn't wait till later in the race, the outcome's still the same. He doesn't finish in the points. And so I completely agree with the team taking a gamble, hoping that cars in front of him either leave the race or that there's a yellow flag or a safety car that stacks everybody back up. Okay, Matt, so there's 39 laps remaining. Let's see what we can do. We'll just look after these tires, see what comes to us. And about 15 minutes and 10 laps later. Okay, so right now we're P11. Two or three cars ahead are on two stops, so they'll have to stop again. And so they play out that scenario, and they realize that they're not getting anywhere with it, that those who are pitting a second time are actually pulling away, and there's really no way for him to catch them, so they call him back into the pit to put on a fresh set of soft tires to finish out the race. Just say no, I don't think the tires are getting much worse than this. We can't score points from where we are at this pace, so uh, that's why we're going to box and just see what it's like on the other tire. What do you want then? Box now, if you can, box now. Okay, box. And so at this point, the team is kind of reserved with the fact that they aren't going to score points. So they want to learn as much as they can regarding the issues that they had for the day. Okay, we're totally clear on fuel. We took off a chunk of aero balance. Let's just see if we can make this tire work for future understanding. 
And with about 12 laps to go, I think Kevin finally realizes what the team is saying, and, and he asks straight up, who are we racing against at the moment? And Gary has to basically come on and say, there isn't really anybody to race against. Their pace was just that bad that there wasn't anybody really for them to race against. Lance Stroll and Williams was still way behind them, but everybody else was way in front of them. So, just give me a bit of information on the race. Who are we targeting and what are we trying to do? Like... Who are we trying to catch? And how far ahead are they? Okay, so you've Kivy out 3.5 ahead. He's in P14, we're P15. The next car behind Stroll is 20 seconds behind, so he's not really a threat. Uh, yeah, so we're kind of in uh, alone. Just Kivy out ahead. Unfortunately, not much to play for right now. Is Roman on the two steps here? Roman had to retire from that incident on the first lap. So I thought that was an interesting exchange. That was edited down from a couple of minutes long, you know, to about 45 seconds or so. But Kevin just sounded really bored out there. And I guess that's what it's like, you know, if you're the Williams guys and you're just back there racing each other and there's not really one else to race around. Uh, and it's good to know that Haas isn't really that team that's used to that. So it's good that Kevin was actually kind of bored. I mean, if you're going to have a terrible race, you're going to want to hate that race, right? You're going to want to get better and you're not going to be satisfied with that at all. You could tell he was just so frustrated and for good reason they had the pace in qualifying and for whatever reason it just wasn't there in the race due to their predicament instead of sulking the team set out to do some extra testing in race scenarios kevin magnuson was experimenting in the car as the race wound down how is the tire right now and have you reduced the coast because of tire uh, just trying different things yeah good that's perfect and so after a difficult race i think i don't like gary gannon kind of sum it up Okay, checkered flag, Kevin, checkered flag. Yeah, very difficult race, man. We didn't give you the car that worked in the race. I'd be interested to hear all your feedback when you get back. Yeah, see you there. But when all was said and done, it was not a terrible day. With just two laps to go and two drivers in the points, Renault comes to the rescue. We have a yellow flag being waved in sector one. It's car number 27. It's Nico Hulkenberg in the Renault. Now he's gone off into the runoff area, I think, at the end of the straight. And I wonder oh, what's Ricardo happening there. Daniel well. Ricciardo's there as well. Both cars are one lap. Now, is this mechanical problem or have they come together again? I only ask that because they have done previously in this race. Pushes Sergio Perez into the points now it almost, it almost looks like they've ran out of fuel both together at the same time i mean it was not a bad guess if that's right paul everything just cut out so that you would assume is electrics then if everything is just cut out electrics or, or hydraulics let's have a listen on board with daniel ricardo And that was a yellow flag for Hulkenberg yeah. as well. Was that at the same point? Right at the same point as his teammate had just pulled over to the side of the track. And this is this is on board with Hulkenberg. Oh, oh that's dear. that's nasty. That's a big failure. Oh, that's that, one that engine not, down. That is not looking good for Renault in the slightest. And so, just when we thought all was lost, Renault steps up, lifts our spirits a little bit, and gives us something to at least be happy about. They didn't move ahead of us in the constructors. 
And while the day was bad, it could have been much, much worse. So thank you, Renault. With that said, the struggles by the team in Bahrain left fans and the team themselves scratching their heads. But don't take my word for it. Let's hear from team principal Gunther Steiner. Gunther, I just talked to Kevin. He doesn't seem to understand at all why the car was so slow. Can you explain that? No. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it, it is... Uh... I mean, it's unbelievable how slow we were. I mean, we have no, and we have no understanding yet. I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, amazingly slow. So, I mean, from a qualifying like this, going into a race car like this, is like, I don't know what, what, what we did. So, I, I think the only good thing is we are here testing uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. So, at least we can, yeah, we have got enough time tomorrow to come up with scenarios we need to test to see. It looks like that. We, we, we didn't get the tire to work for the long runs, it looks like, but again, by, by no means is that a, a conclusion to it, but uh, uh, at least I've got the time uh, uh, to, to go through testing uh, Tuesday and Wednesday and, and hopefully learn something. I mean, that is not a given. And uh, the other, uh, I think the silver lining is that nobody gained on us, so we are just basically at zero again. You know, obviously the drivers, uh, uh, they, they didn't make any points, but at least we didn't lose anything against anybody. So uh, there, is, uh, there is that to say, but I, 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 I really hope that on this week we get, I don't know if we can fix the problem, but at least getting an understanding why, we, why our performance drops so dramatically from qualifying to the race. I mean, it's, um, I, I have no idea. So initially after the race, the team didn't know, and they haven't really published anything from the end-season testing that took place earlier this week that I'm not going to include in this podcast just because this podcast is only going to be so long. It'll be part of next Wednesday's episode, uh, looking forward to the Chinese Grand Prix, so look for that then. It really is a baffling situation that the car did so well in qualifying, and the weather and track conditions were nearly identical 24 hours later during the race. The only difference was there were gusts of 20 to 25 mile per hour winds in some of the corners of the track, but the overall wind for the track was about 7 to 8 mile per hour gusts. But for the most part, listening to the team radio, watching Kevin Magnussen specifically drive, um, I think a lot of it just has to do, as Gunther alluded to within that interview, is tires. The tires were getting too hot, and they weren't able to maintain optimal tire temperatures to get the most out of the speeds. And I think that has a lot to do with it. And I don't know if it was the car setup, and I don't know if it was the drivers, but overall, there was definitely something there, and that's probably where the issue lies. Starting at the base analysis, what changed with the track conditions between qualifying when they did so well and race? Nothing. The qualifying temperature was 25 degrees Celsius or 77 degrees Fahrenheit. And the race temperature was 27 degrees Celsius or 80.6 degrees Fahrenheit. And the track temperature was under 85 degrees for both qualifying and the race. Overall, the temperature was nearly identical between qualifying evening and race evening. Again, with the lone exception being the high gusts in some of the corners. Turn four specifically caused some issues. But watching Kevin Magnuson struggle, a lot of his struggles weren't within that turn four. Okay, if it wasn't track conditions, what about car changes? According to the team, they brought no major changes to Bahrain, other than the standard cooling improvements required for racing in the desert. So there weren't any major changes to qualifying, there weren't any major changes to the temperature and the track conditions, and there weren't any major changes to the car itself. What does that leave? Basically, it just leaves the driver. And so now I'm going to provide you with my analysis and what I think the reason was, and then also the evidence that led me to that. Again, what I'm about to tell you is all conjecture. I don't know what happened. I'm not part of the team. I don't have an inside scoop to the team. I'm literally making this claim based on the evidence I've seen watching the tape, listening to the radio, and watching the race. So with that disclaimer out of the way, let's jump into my analysis. 
First, I'll be providing some stats, and if the stats are too much to follow within the podcast, head to reddit.com slash r slash Haas F1 team and look for the Haas team podcast episode four thread on Reddit, and I will post all of the data I'm using in this analysis right here there for you to view in a physical viewable form. Also, I did a lap by lap analysis for upwards of 40 to 45 laps. I'm not going to go over all of those now for brevity, but just know that my decision is made off of that full scope of information, not the few pieces of information that I mentioned. So here's my take. What I think happened is that due to race conditions, mainly the high winds, K-Mag over-adjusted his strategy early on, causing the tires to needlessly overheat. The fact that they were able to get the tire temps back to where they needed to be leads me to believe that it was a driver issue and not a car issue. Also, the fact that he was able to actually set good lap times on the yellow mediums, on par and even better than the other cars around him, makes me believe that it just wasn't Kevin's night. Again, this isn't necessarily Kevin's fault. The car setup plus the high winds on the low downforce track may have been a recipe for disaster. But I certainly think that at the very least, some of his issues were self-inflicted. Early on, in an effort to maintain his position with the internal rhythm he likely gained through testing and qualifying, he may have braked later than he needed to and put more wear on his tires than he needed to. And also we heard within the team radio, rear locking. I think that's what the main issue was with the early issues within the race. Again, this is of course all speculation to me personally, but to me, the evidence is pretty clear. Had the car been in shambles, I don't think he would have run so well in some laps and not so well in others. At the start, he was running just fine until his tires overheated. And on the mediums during the second stint, he was holding his own for much of the race, nearly 10 laps overall. And even during that time, making up some time. Overall, the car actually ran pretty well on laps one through five on the softs, laps 12 through 16 on the mediums, and laps 40 through 49 on the softs again. One thing that was also strange to me was that Kevin provided zero feedback to his race engineer, Gary Gannon, throughout the first hour of the race, at a time when he may have been able to assist him had he had more feedback from the driver. And after watching the entire onboard, it didn't seem like he was fighting for grip or that the car was working against him. Again, the lack of feedback to Gary and a lack of any real struggle within the car leads me to believe that Kevin just had an off day. It happens. It happens to everybody. And sure, the car could have been partially to blame, but unfortunately, because Grosjean's car had damage from the start of it, we can only really compare the two for such a short stint about 10 laps overall. And we're gonna work our way around those 10 laps in just a few minutes. But looking at the limited data we have, he was running at a midfield pace from laps three to 15 while driving a damaged car with a damaged floor and on medium tires. Of course, Grosjean was also running in clear air for much of that time, but overall, Kevin and Romain each had 11 quote-unquote clear laps overall. Before Grosjean retired from the race, there's an 11-lap overlap where they were both in racing conditions. Grosjean retired after 15 laps, and so I just removed the first two laps from his race because they were ruined with the wreck and with the pit time. And then Kevin pitted on laps 10 and 11, and so you remove those as well, and that leaves you 11 out of the 15 laps that you could compare the times to. And so that's what I did. I literally went down and I compared what were the lap times for each one of them for those 11 laps. And the average lap time for Kevin Magnuson for those 11 laps was 138.774. And the average for Romain Grosjean for those 11 laps, 138.416. Which means that Grosjean had a faster lap pace over those 11 laps than Kevin Magnuson by 35 one hundredths of a second. Which when stretched out over those 11 laps means that that Grosjean nearly had a four-second lead over Kevin Magnussen over those 11 laps. Which, remember, Romain Grosjean is driving in a damaged car. He had a damaged floorboard. And he was also running on the slower medium tires when Kevin Magnussen had at least half of the life left on his red soft tires. 
And I believe the real tell here is, is the consistency over these 11 laps. During his 11 laps, Kevin Magnuson ran as low as 136.902 and as high as 142.033. Meanwhile, Romain Grosjean ran as low as a 137.262 and as high as a 138.880. And for Romain Grosjean, that means interval between his fastest lap and his slowest lap was 1.618 seconds. For Kevin Magnussen, the difference between his fastest and slowest lap was a whopping 5.361 seconds. And to further drive home the consistency, Romain Grosjean ran 9 of his 11 laps in the 138s and two in the 137s. Kevin Magnussen ran two laps in the 136, two in the 137, three in the 138, three in the 139, one in the 140, and one in the 142. And again, I just want to point out that I do know Romain Grosjean was running in clean air for most of those laps. He was also running with the damaged floor and on the harder tires. So all that's fine and dandy, but what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to show that consistency is what was important and Kevin Magnussen just did not have that, especially at the crucial start of the race. And while and while maybe the car was not to the perfect configuration, to me, there is clear evidence that shows if he would have run at more consistent paces and he would have been able to keep his tires in optimal temperature ranges, that he probably would have had a lot more success. Again, I think that maybe he pressed early on due to pressure maybe from signs passing him or from Ricardo and Kimi Raikkonen behind him. I'm just not sure why uh, he didn't run as optimally as I think he could have, but I don't think he did. And I know what some of you may be thinking right now. Grosjean outperformed Magnussen against each other, but they were racing against the midfield. So let's take the driver who had the best start in the midfield, Nico Hulkenberg, who went from 17th to 7th within a matter of 10 laps or so, and let's compare his lap times with Grosjean and Magnussen over those same early laps whenever they were whenever they were all on the track together. And due to adding one more pit stop to this 15 laps that Grosjean's car was on the track, it's actually a 10-lap comparison between them. Magnussen, Grosjean, and Hulkenberg were all three running at full race speed for 10 laps at the Bahrain Grand Prix. Laps 3 through 9, laps 12, 14, and 15. And over that 10-lap period, Kevin Magnussen averaged 138.984 over those 10 laps. Nico Hulkenberg averaged 138.358, and Romain Grosjean averaged a 138.402, which means that the total time interval between Romain Grosjean and Nico Hulkenberg over the 10 laps was 0.44 seconds, or less than one half second. 44 one-hundredths of second times 10 laps is 0.44 seconds. Not bad for a guy driving a damaged car. Meanwhile, over those same 10 laps, Kevin Magnussen was 0.626 seconds slower per lap. So over the 10 lap period, he was 6.26 seconds slower than Nico Hulkenberg. That's quite a margin. The crazy thing is, that means that Kevin Magnussen's interval over those 10 laps with Nico Hulkenberg was more than 14 times larger than that of Romain Grosjean, who was driving a damaged car. And so to me, this evidence is overwhelming proof that Kevin Magnussen was primary to blame for the pace of his car at the Bahrain Grand Prix. Unless there was something specifically wrong with his car, he should have been much, much faster, especially within the first 10 to 15 laps of the race. Because if Romain Grosjean could do it with a damaged car running on slower tires, why couldn't he do it with a non-damaged car and faster tires? And I just wanna bookend these statements with the fact that I love Kevin Magnussen, I love him as a driver, I think he's a fantastic fit for the team. I'm not disparaging him in any way, I just think he had an off day. Everyone has an off day every now and then. 
you know, some folks have an off day and they get in an accident and some people have an off day and they just don't hit their apexes or they don't maintain their tire temperatures. And I think that's what happened in Bahrain, which is good for two reasons. First, it means that there's probably not anything wrong with the cars, which also leads me to believe that they're going to be just fine in China next week. And of course, there could also have been an issue with the car that made it hard for him to maintain consistency with his lap times and consistency with his tire temperatures. But like with most lockups, I would say nine times out of 10, it's just the driver not operating the car optimally. And for those new to the sport or who may not understand what I'm talking about when it comes to brakes, lockups, and maintaining tire temperature and tire integrity and optimal tire performance, Let me see if I can provide you with a high-level overview. If you'll recall, earlier in the team radio, race engineer Gary Gannon was telling Kevin Magnuson to consider brake balance forward, which means put more of the balance for the brakes to the forward disc so the front tires take a little more heat. Consider brake balance forward due to high rear locking. And then he tells them that they need to get the surface temperature of his tires down and brake and coast when he can. Okay, it's all down to the surface temps, so we just have to try and get them down. Okay, brake balance forward for to reduce rear locking and then lift and coast when you can. And about a lap later, Gary says pretty much the same thing all over again. Understood, surface overheating is reducing. Torque 5, torque 5, less engine braking for balance. And we still have a lot of rear locking. So all of those updates from Gary Gannon took place from the fifth lap to the ninth lap, which is when Kevin Magnussen lost four places in a matter of moments. His interval to Nico Hulkenberg on lap six was nearly four seconds. Lap seven was 1.4 seconds. Lap eight was 2.2 seconds. And lap nine was 2.2 seconds. So in total, due to his tires overheating, he lost a total of at least 10 seconds over four laps. And that was the race. That right there was the entire race. Because on lap 10, he pitted, which put him into 15th place. And it was just nearly impossible to make his way back through the grid at that time. And so what is rear locking? And why is it a driver's worst enemy? Unlike modern road cars, F1 cars don't have ABS or anti-lock brake systems. So the car brakes according to the driver's skill. When the driver presses the brake, the pads immediately grip the brake disc. If the driver presses too hard, the pads grip harder than the force of the wheel gripping the road, which causes the wheel to stop spinning and quote unquote lock. In normal braking, a 15% under rotation is the optimum for braking. But when you lock the wheels, it is a 100% under rotation. This locking can cause tires to wear unevenly and cause major Major flat spots, which can and do also cause aero issues for the entire car. We saw this when Vettel's car broke free of its front wing simply because of the vibrations caused by the flat spot in his rear tires after the spin. Not only that, but each time you lock up, it greatly increases your chances of locking up again on that same spot as the tires wear unevenly. Long story short, rear locking, like what Kevin experienced during his first stint on softs, is a nightmare. And as his temperatures continued to rise within the tires, it became easier and easier to lock up the tires. And locking doesn't have to be the big exaggerated puff of smoke that we see from time to time as drivers are aggressively braking late for a pass. They can also be partial locking. If optimal braking is 15% under rotation and a full lockup is 100% under rotation, locking can include any number between 16% and 100%. And the more that you lock up, regardless of how big or how small that percentage is, it adds additional 
additional friction to the tire surface, which increases the temperature exponentially of the overall tire surface as well. So the more you lock up, the faster your tires are going to heat up, which greatly increases tire degradation and overall grip capability. And all of that is just a really long-winded way of saying that if you don't brake properly, you're going to increase the temperature of your tires, which will decrease the longevity and the effectiveness of the grip within those tires. And I believe that Kevin's inability to maximize the potential of the red tires he started the race with is why he was knocked out of the points. Sorry if that was a little dense, but I think it was a lot of great conversation, especially on the Haas F1 subreddit about what the issue was with the cars actually struggling during the Bahrain Grand Prix. As I've hopefully shown is that they weren't struggling as bad as they looked like, or at least Romain Grosjean wasn't, even though he was driving a damaged vehicle. And I think Kevin Magnussen just had a bad day. I don't think there's really anything to worry about as far as how they're going to perform in China. I think they'll be back to full speed. I think you just scratch this one up to a bad day. And maybe there was a configuration that made it a little bit harder for him to control the car. You know, obviously they'll know that from the telemetry data that they got. They did have two days of testing where they had nearly 150 laps between the drivers, which is probably well over a terabyte of data that they gathered. That's a lot of data to go through. And so hopefully they figured it out. But we all know that Kevin's a great driver and Kevin will bounce back. Let's hope that Romain Grosjean is finally lucky enough to finish a race and that he's not knocked out of another race and where it's not his fault. And let's take those double points in China. The good news is, is that most other teams in the midfield also struggled in Bahrain. So nobody's running away with anything yet. Haas currently sits tied for P5, but technically P6 in the constructor standings. Alfa Romeo has 10 points, McLaren has 8 points, and Haas has 8 points, and Renault is at 6 points. So no major issues there. And Kevin Magnussen is tied for P7 with Lando Norris in the, in the Drivers' Championship with 8 points. And Kimi Raikkonen is above them with 10 points as well. And Nico Hulkenberg is in 9th with 6 points, and Pierre Gasly is in 10th with 4 points. So even though Romy Grosjean's had a terrible start to the season, he is literally a P5 or P6 finish in China away from possibly leading the driver standings. So it's still early in the season. There's still 21 races to go. It's a marathon, not a sprint. They need to be consistent. They need to get points each and every week. I think Alfa Romeo may be the biggest threat because Kimi Raikkonen is going to get points each and every week. Kimi Raikkonen has 10 points by himself and currently sits P6 in the driver's standing and P4 in the constructor's standing, all because he gets points each and every week. And that's what Haas needs to do. And week in and week out, that's the goal. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have not, please visit reddit.com slash r slash Haas F1 team. We have nearly 1,000 fellow Haas F1 fans who post there and converse there and share information and news. And on race day, we have a race thread where you can go in and live comment and live discuss what's going on within the race. The subreddit has grown by over 50% in the last three weeks. 50%. 5-0. The Netflix Drive to Survive effect is real. Haas is more popular than ever. F1 is more popular than ever. Jump on that bandwagon at the start. Be the hipster that was there before it was cool. Also, my goal is to publish a new episode of the podcast every Wednesday. But as you may realize by now, I mean, I definitely won't hit that goal every week. This episode, for example, has taken me about 20 hours to produce. That's right, 2-0. There was so much information here and so much editing. Each and every week for the podcast, I will be watching at least the two onboards and the Sky F1 television presentation. And I also record those, and I transcribe the parts where Haas is mentioned, and I transcribe completely 
the radio messages between the drivers and the race engineers. Just in case something cool or something important comes up, I don't want to miss it. And I don't want you to miss it. And then episodes like this one had a ton of data to crunch. Like literally, I compared manually the laps for Hulkenberg and Magnuson and Grosjean. And actually, I compared them also to all of the others within the midfield. And Hulkenberg was basically the most stable and easiest to compare. So that's the why I used Hulkenberg. And so what I'm trying to say is bear with me if I don't make it out on Wednesday. If you want to know when it's going to be out, follow twitter.com slash Podcast and or instagram.com slash Podcast or facebook.com slash Podcast. Twitter would be the main one I would follow because that's the one I update all the time. But if you are not a member of the Haas F1 team subreddit, go subscribe now. There's tons of great information there. Thousands of fellow fans. We have some great things planned for it in the future. And so stay tuned for that. All I ask, and last but not least, all I ask each and every week is if you like this podcast, please tell one person you know to subscribe to the podcast and have them listen to it. As a bonus, if you listen on iTunes or Stitcher or any other podcast platform that allows ratings and reviews, please consider leaving us a positive review. It definitely helps us with growth. It definitely helps us with our numbers. And so we'd appreciate you if you would take a few minutes to do that for us. And finally, I just want to thank the entire Haas F1 team for everything they do. I follow a lot of these guys on Twitter and Instagram And I see them traveling all the time and away from their family and friends and loved ones. And I just thank them for doing that for our entertainment and for working their butts off to represent us as fans, represent America or France for Romain Grosjean or Switzerland as well, or Denmark for K-Mag or England for the Haas F1 team located there or Italy for the Haas F1 team located there. It's a global sport. We've got people everywhere. All the fans love you. We know the boys are going to bounce back and get double points in China. Hashtag Go Haas Go! Oh, and Hulkenberg, just because you're broken down the side of the road doesn't mean you can't Zack my balls, man. America America Frick Yeah Come out again to save the mother Frick Yeah, yeah, America Frick Yeah Freedom is the only way Terrorists, your game is through Cause now you have to Frick. Yeah, so lick my butt and suck on my balls, America. Frick. Yeah, what you gonna do when we come for you now? It's the dream that we all share. It's the hope for tomorrow. Frick. Yeah. We got em. Frick. Yeah. Walmart. Frick. Yeah. We got Frick. Yeah. Baseball. Frick. Yeah. NFL. Frick. Yeah. Rock and roll. Frick. Yeah. yeah. Frick, yeah. Frick, yeah. Frick, yeah. Frick, yeah. Disney World, Frick, yeah. Porno, Frick, yeah. Valium, Frick, yeah. Reebok, Frick, yeah. Fainted, Frick, yeah. Sushi, Frick, yeah. Taco Bell, Frick, yeah. Rodeo, Frick, yeah. Bed, Bath and Beyond. Frick, yeah. White slip, Frick, yeah. The Alamo, Frick, yeah. Band-Aid, Frick, yeah. Las Vegas, Frick, yeah. Christmas, Frick, yeah. Immigrant, Frick, yeah. Popeye, Frick, yeah. Democrat, Frick, yeah. Republican, Frick, yeah. Sportsmanship, Frick.
freak. 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 Yeah.